Welcome to Vancouver True Crime. I'm very honored to have a very special guest for the second time, Constable Amanda Steed. We're going to talk about the safety. We're going to have a conversation about the changes of the city. I'm very honored to talk to you, Amanda. How have you been? I've been busy. Uh, It's been a crazy last couple of months with everything that we've been seeing in the media and the policing world. It's been busy, but uh, I'm good. Thanks for having me today, Mark. I interviewed you, was it last summer? Oh, it seems like just yesterday, but I'm sure it was months ago. And some today, by the way. Oh, thank you. (laughs) It was like a soft glow. Oh, (laughs) I remember just before interviewing you, there was the Granville Street machete attack, which was never something that never happened. There's been increased drug use, the drug supply, the toxic drug supply. And there's like this kind of perfect storm that's going on. It plays out in the public. And then, of course, you're on the front line and you're the one that has to deal with these calls. And then there's the public scrutiny. It's supposed to be like a very dramatic time to be a police officer. Dramatic is not, not the right word. Exhausting is probably the correct term. Also in the media with these violent attacks on, you know, random stranger attacks and and weapons being used, we're also seeing officers dying. We're all being shot, stabbed. I just came back last week from a funeral for an Ontario provincial police officer that was killed in line of duty. Three officers were shot on that call. It was a complete outright ambush, right? I can't really provide too many details about what transpired, but from what I understand, it was a just a check well-being call. Or oh, um, I'm not sure. There's been a couple where the actual suspect called the police themselves and lured officers there. I don't know if that's the case in this one, uh, right. in this particular incident, but three officers attended to check a well-being, and as soon as they got there, they were shot. All three of them. Oh, they, yeah, so it's not only scary for regular citizens in the city, but it's it's scary for us. And to say that it, I mean, this is what we signed up for. I get that. We, when I wanted to be a police officer, I remember being nine years old and thinking, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to make a difference. And at nine, that's such a weird thing to to want to do, but that has never changed. I've always wanted to make a difference and I've always wanted to help people. If you get into policing and don't want to help people, you're doing it for the wrong reason. I'm sure, you know, the, the risk and everything, you're doing it more just, just for a paycheck. You're putting your neck on the line. To them. Again, you're just saying, you know, every call, you have no idea what you're walking into. Exactly. And so in the back of my mind, every time I put my uniform on, I think there is a possibility today that I may not come home and there is a possibility today that I may have to use deadly force and i never used to really think about that it was always sort of a possibility like in the back of my mind but now every time i put on my uniform i think okay today is a new day yes and i prepared for what the day could bring and all these officers that are being killed in line of duty it's happening either attending a call or even constable hong was shot and killed in a tumult he was getting coffee or oh, I remember that. On a course, they run a motorcycle course, and he was just going to Tim Martin's to get coffee and, and donuts for oh. his team members. And he was shot in, while he was standing in line. So, oh my God. Do we appear more paranoid? Maybe. Because we have to be. 
it's yeah because you don't know if someone approaches they might just be hey you know you're doing great or hey i'm approaching you and kaboom we were talking a little bit before we started the podcast that the randomness is something that i'm not used to i've been in the city for a long time i've been in the city since about 1977 those are bouncers, stupid stuff, drinking, idiots, shithead males and alcohol is not a good mix. Rowdy, testosterone, that kind of stuff. But this is a new thing. I really believe it's tied in mental health and, and unpredictableness and then the intention. You have no idea what someone's intentions are now. You just said you're putting on your uniform. Am I going to get critically injured is some, you know, or have a violent incident or you're going to have to use deadly force? That's very sober, very sober. And a lot of comments that I see quite often, I am call them insensitive comments on posts where we're attending an officer's funeral and it's, well, you signed up for this. Uh -huh. Well, this is, this is part of your job. It is to an extent, but yeah. I don't sign up to get murdered. In the no, no, hell no. When I started, I wanted to help people and I still want to help people. Like that sure. nine-year-old girl that had big hopes and dreams of changing the world. Mm -hmm. I still want to do that. And yeah, it is part of the job, but it's kind of sobering the fact that we are seeing more and more violence. And I used to think, oh, you know, I'm glad we don't live in, in the States. Yeah. I'm right. Out of control. And yeah, people are being shot and killed every single day. Regular citizens, police officers, people are just being shot or stabbed. And I used to think, oh, we're so lucky that we live in Canada. I mean, yeah. I still think that. I still think that. But now we're starting to see a little bit of trickle down. I always think that we're about four or five years behind Seattle. And I think whatever's happening sort of on that side of the border, uh, in about four or five years, we'll start to see kind of similar incidences and similar demographics and, and the way that the world is and the way that that city is, is progressing. So it does make sense. And it's it's a scary thought. But... We go out there every day trying to make a difference. And we go out there wanting to help people. And if I can do my part by making people feel safe or giving them some kind of edge or some kind of just very basic safety advice on how to keep yourself safe, not only on the transit system, but just in general, and especially for women, especially women, because we're sort of as women taught from a very young age, you know, don't make a scene, be polite. He's, and we're also taught at a very young age that if a boy hits you, he likes you. Oh, God. Or like you're on the school ground, right? And yeah. you know, the, the bully it comes and, you know, pushes you over. Oh, no, you're, he just likes you. He's just trying to fall with me because he likes you. Well, we don't, we don't need that. We don't have no, to no. and And I'm here to stand with all the women because I've been there. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I identify as a woman. I am a woman. And we all have shared experiences. If I can help from a tactical perspective or even just from a woman's perspective on how to keep yourself safe, then I'm going to shout it from the rooftops because I'm very passionate about it. I'm good for you. Let's talk first then about security systems that one should be aware of. What are the, the some advice for them when they're traveling throughout Metro Vancouver? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the first thing I always tell people is be prepared. So know where you're going. If you're taking the train and you've never taken the train before, or you're you're trying to plan your route, know what your route is. So you can go to the TransLink website and you can do the trip planner and you can find 
exactly where you need to go and how you need to get there. And this is super important if you're traveling at night, because at night, the trains are a little bit longer in between. Mm -hmm. um, and so you want to make sure that you're utilizing your time effectively. And you don't want to sort of, if you don't have to hang out on the platform or in the station for any longer than you have to, then, then don't. So that's why I always recommend that you do your trip planner so you can maximize your time. And if you're traveling in a group, make sure that everybody knows where you're going. Make sure everybody right. has yeah. a destination in mind. Or, especially for parents with young children, we see this a lot where mom and dad will get on the train and then they don't really manage the time properly. And then before you know, the doors are closed and your child is still on the platform in the train. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Right? Oh, yeah. Like watching yeah. your tool. Oh, yeah. Totally. As a train oh, so I always want to make sure that, to tell parents that you have a plan with your kid, regardless of the age, make sure they know their name, their phone number, your name. And if they can't remember that and they're old enough to remember that, like a wristband or something in their pocket or something that identifies them. Apple AirTag. I love an Apple AirTag. I slap an AirTag right. on everything. And yeah. Get. But make sure the child knows either stay put and come back around or whatever destination that you had planned, if they're old enough to comprehend, if whatever destination you had planned, say you were at Waterfront and you were going to stadium, then you can say, if we ever get separated, just meet me at stadium. For young children, I would say, make sure you just teach them to stay put. You want them to know that they're safe where they are and to look for a SkyTrain attendant. So you'll see a transit employee wearing a bright yellow vest that says SkyTrain on it. Those people can help you or a police officer, of course. And then we can reunite them. It happens a, a lot. A lot oh on it. Yeah, that yeah. Did, oh, that would terrify yeah. me. Like, oh, oh my God, <laughs> is he my darling? You know, we're constantly reuniting parents and, and children, so it it does. You're not going to avoid it. You know, kids are kids are funny. They they they're always constantly trying to test you, right? Running along. Yeah. Always say that the first like five years of a child's life is you're on suicide watch because like they're constantly like just running into traffic. Oh yeah. My daughter is the same way. She'd get into everything. She'd love to get behind the television with all the wires. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. My son is more clingy. Like, he's not really, like, he doesn't really get into stuff. I'm, oh, my God. My daughter would take anything and everything. Like, yeah. God, so, yeah, so as long as they know who their mom and dad are or someone to contact and then who to ask for help. That's super important. Another good tip is be aware. I can't stress this enough. Be, no matter where you are, be aware of your surroundings. So gone are the days where you can just put your, your earphones in and then listen to your music or your podcast or watch a Netflix movie. You have to be aware. You have to know, especially if you're walking on the street, like there's cars, if you're on a train, just know who is around you. And I always say have an escape plan. So, yeah. And that's not necessarily a negative thing. No. I know I'm going to get attacked, so I always have to have an escape plan. I need it in in the way that just being aware and knowing. Yeah, being prepared and having having a route out. So not necessarily an escape route. I call it an escape route for tactical reasons, but having a way out. Yeah. If you were. Um, are... Yeah, know where you're, if you're going to a restaurant know where your exits are 
and I'm because I'm a police officer, I'm hyper aware of everything. And I am I am a truly like a crazy person. When I go places, I know who's in the restaurant, I know where the exits are, I know where the bathrooms yeah. are. I don't yeah. I don't sit we have a window. Feel the vibe in the room. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. if something feels off, then I'm and I'm not sitting there. Yeah. So I'm always aware of what's around me. And even just in the it simplicity, it's just you know, just make eye contact with the people around you. You don't have to have a conversation with someone if you don't want to. Well, I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking to make sure that you know where your exits are. If you're on the SkyTrain, very important to know the safety features. So if you've never looked for them before, if you get on the train the next time you're there, or even the bus or CVAP, just have a look around. Just just look for the yellow strip. Super important, the yellow strip. It's in all SkyTrain cars. It's also on the bus. So it's this yellow strip that runs along the window of all SkyTrain cars. And that's a silent alarm. So when you push that, mm-hmm. there's a silent alarm that goes to the Operation Control Center for TransLink. And they are in direct radio communication with the SkyTrain attendant. And then we also have, in our dispatch center, we have a, a radio that we can hear the SkyTrain attendants when they're dispatched. So they'll send a SkyTrain attendant or a Canada line attendant, depending on what part of the system that you're on. And wherever station they're at, they'll send someone at the next available station to check it. So you don't even have to say anything. You can just, if you are uncomfortable, someone's making you feel uncomfortable. There's, you know, an incident that may, I don't know, lead to something more. You can always push it. Like the the other day we had someone was concerned about someone passed out on the train. And that's pretty common. And he he or she could be passed out for many different reasons. But if you just you don't want to get involved that's fine you don't have to check on someone we're not asking you to do first aid but just know that if you push that yellow button that yellow strip that someone will come and check for you so we get a lot of people pass on the train whether it's they're just tired from a long day at work or it could be drug induced or it could be anything mm-hmm. and we have a lot of elderly people that yes. I mean that mm-hmm. get lost right that is so right so yeah. if you're ever just worried about somebody, it, it's more than fine to push that yellow button. And also another good thing is knowing our text number. We have a text service. Right. So if you just put that in your phone before you even leave and you can just text us anytime you feel unsafe or you're, you're, you have a transit concern or you want us to check on somebody, you just send a text to 8777. Seven, seven. So you just text that number and it goes straight to our dispatch center. So okay. you'll be speaking with a dispatcher who is direct contact with us. So if there's something that is not right or you feel unsafe, um, obviously if it's something in progress, like if someone's safety is in jeopardy right away or that's a time in progress, you will call 911. That's non-disputable. But if it's something that you're not really sure, maybe I should call, maybe I shouldn't call, just text. Okay. There's no harm, no harm in, in being wrong. Yeah, and be prepared, right? And then, again, better safe than sorry. And, and unfortunately, it's like some of these headlines we're talking about, you know, who knows if they maybe if they press that button, maybe, you know what I mean? Maybe could have, should have, would have, but just having awareness and information is better, right? Well, often sometimes when people uh, press the yellow strip and then the SkyTrain attendant gets on the train, but they're still a little bit afraid to speak up, depending on the situations. With the text, you can just you can speak without speaking, and nobody will be aware at all if there's a suspect on the train that you're just you don't want to um, alert to the fact that you are 
contacting the police. You can just text. You just look like every other passenger. Right. I mean, it's such a really cool. Yeah, that way too. Like especially if someone's worked up, you, it's more discreet. Yeah. Right? And especially yeah. in today's climate, where you know, back in the back in in the day, it'd be, oh, I'm going to call the police, and then that would just sort of stop their behavior. But no, I've seen incidences where it's actually made it worse. It just kind of sets a person off. Yeah, just take your own safety into account and people often ask me you know should i should i video should i video the the assault or should i should i take it out and take pictures and while that does help us with the investigation to have video or or photos just think about your safety so i wouldn't want you to do it if it jeopardizes your safety so if you're going to make the first yeah, if you're going to make the suspect even angrier and they may come for you. Sometimes the best is really just taking your step back and trying to get yourself out of the situation. Again, with this mental health or drug-induced psychosis, there's probably nothing you can say that's going to going to help you, you know? Oh, yeah. And especially with drug-induced psychosis, and it's not really much. You can still try and raise and do your de-escalation techniques. Um, but with mental health, I want people to, to not be afraid of people with mental health. That's not the whole purpose. No, no. Yeah. Because a lot of times they, that, you know, crazy guy that's yelling or talking to himself, he's, he just really can't help it. Yeah. Conversation with that person, you'd find that you probably wouldn't feel unsafe, but everyone's so afraid right now that they just call 911 immediately when they see someone freaking out, which is fine. You can still call. We're not saying don't call. But just know that not every person who suffers from mental health is a criminal. No, each situation, you have to use your best common sense for each situation. I wanted to ask you something, and then maybe you can explain, because I got, I got a lot of comments when I posted it. Like within the last two months, you guys did a pretty major like drug bust and gun bust and stuff. I'm, yeah. and, and a lot of people like, commented to me, and like, oh, I didn't know transit police had this authority. If you can explain to the listening audience like the role of, the, of your police force and the kind of the jurisdictional powers that you guys have and things like that, because it seems like they, they seem to be confused that you guys were able to bust a bunch of guns and drugs. Yeah. We get that a lot. We're the only dedicated to transit police force in Canada, uh, the one and only. We have the same, so what we do is we police the transit system, so in and around the transit system, but we are designated constables in the province of British Columbia. We train at the Justice Institute with all of the municipal police departments in the Lower Mainland, so all our training is the same. We have jurisdiction across all of BC, so not just on the train or not just on the buses. So we are designated police officers. So if we are policing the system or we're out in our police car and we witness a crime, mm-hmm. yes, we, no matter where we are, we, mm-hmm. we will investigate that crime. And that is our role as police officers. Well, we work mostly on the SkyTrain, sometimes on the buses and CBEC. That is our focus. We mm-hmm. are still police officers. And right. yes, yes, we have all the same powers as a regular police officer or a jurisdictional police officer. So yes, we can pull you over. Yes, we can seize guns. Yes, we can do search warrants and we can do, you know, a gang activity. We work very closely with our jurisdictional policing partners and we have lots of officers from our department that are seconded into specialty sections. So gang task force, CSU, traffic. We have a whole bunch of different officers that are working with, you know, Vancouver police, uh, the RCP, all kinds of, we have 
two now that just finished the undercover course. So we've got lots of really great officers with huge skill sets. So okay. um, that's it's funny that people say still say that. And I, I don't think it's ignorant. I think it's just they no. don't understand. Right. Yeah. When right. I first started uh, in policing, my even my mom asked me the same thing. She's like, "I don't think you can pull people over." And I was like, "Well, I'm <laughs> of all people." So right. if I have to explain it to my mom, then I, I love explaining it to people because they just clearly don't understand. So with that specific file where we seize drugs, guns, ammunition, all that good stuff, and that actually started at this factory station. Oh wow! Started at this factory station with one of our officers who was working undercover, plain clothes observed a drug transaction that occurred on the system. So on the train in the station. So what they were doing is uh, these drug dealers were utilizing the transit system to carry their and deal their drugs from point A to point B. And you think about it, it's genius, right? Because oh, yeah, you're not sure. in a vehicle, you can yeah. cover way more ground. So yeah. that's how that investigation started. And that, that took months and months of um, undercover work. We did a lot of search warrants and we, you know, discovered uh, Gang members from the PC gang conflict were involved, and a lot of people higher up. So, and that investigation is still ongoing. But that's how we seize those those guns and drugs. Is yes, we have the same powers as the jurisdictional police service, but that file started on the transit system. Not interesting. Well, and we were talking a little bit before we started, and we're having a conversation about the escalation of violence and there's been some major headlines on the sky train what are you guys doing about it because there were any new programs or anything yeah so during that time what we did is we pulled all officers that were in specialty units and we put them in uniform and we flooded the system we had them on buses we had them on sky train we had them in stations proactively making and while we our officers do proactive patrolling we were able to flood the system with more bodies, with more police officers. And that's not necessarily going to prevent all crime. We are realistic about that. But people want to see police officers. They want to see them on the trains. They want to see them at the stations. They want to see them on the buses. And that's what we did. We had a lot a lot of overtime call outs. We had, you know, we had lots of people on the system. And it did it work? Uh, visible deterrent? Yeah, I think it did work. I think uh, the transit system is a safe place to be, and it's designed to be safe with lots of features to help keep you safe. And I think we've seen sort of a, a slowdown in in the amount of, of violent crimes that have been happening. And if, if you think about it, thousands of people ride that train every day. Right. right? It, and a lot of times it's hyped up in the media as, oh, another stranger assault on, on TransLink. But the nature of our job is the assaults are always going to be random. Yeah. Strangers are random. You're, you're packed in with thousands of strangers. So it's not shocking for us to to see stranger assault. But I think because of our presence and, and because of our officers out there, you know, working hard and engaging with the public, I think we've made a difference. And I think with the decrease in the amount of violent offenses that we've seen in the last couple weeks i think that's proof that that's worked we've also we're really excited about a new program that we've created called our community safety officers so this program is we we've rolled it out in january and we're currently in the powering process hopefully we're going to have 
the goal, we have seven right now, but the goal is to have 12 community safety officers go into training and be rolled out next fall. So what a community safety officer is, is it's not a police officer and it's not a security guard. So these people are, are people that are like the eyes and ears of, of transit. It's like a, an extra layer of security and protection on the transit system. So people are going to have a visual representation of feeling safer and secure. So they'll be able to respond to sort of low risk calls that don't require the attendance of a police officer, of a full-fledged police officer. We'll be doing crowd control, fair enforcement, community events. Um, okay. We'll see them out and about on the train. So we're really excited to be rolling that out and helping people not only feel safe, but, but be safe. Right, have more of a presence and stuff. Yeah. One of the questions I wanted to ask you, because a lot of times, you know, the nature of my platform, I get people that contact me after, you know, after something happens, right? So, and sometimes they're actually the direct victim of the crime. So I wanted to ask you about you know, if they're available, what kind of like programs or resources are available for victims of crimes? Of these so we, if you're a victim of a crime, first of all, we, we really encourage people to report. A lot of times we'll see posting a post on social media where someone says, this happened to me or I was sexually assaulted or someone assaulted me or just anything. Um, and they're just trying to bring awareness. But it's really important that they report it to the police because not only does it help us deploy our officers correctly, because we deploy officers based on statistics, because we have 184 officers and we have over 1,800 square kilometers to police. So, wow, and about 2,000 buses. So it's it's a lot. So yeah. our deployment is based on statistics. So if you don't report it, we don't get accurate statistics. So I think that's super important. And if you are a victim and you need someone to talk to, we have victim services. They're trained, they're paid, and they're also volunteer positions. They're not police officers. They're they're just strictly there for you to assist you sort of through the court process if that's what you decide to do. Um, if you just need someone to talk to, they're there to listen. And always, I always suggest always reach out to your own healthcare practitioner, whether that be a medical doctor or mental health, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay that you're not feeling comfortable and it's okay, but you need to be able to reach out to try and, and get that help that you need. For sure. One of the things I wanted to ask, cause again, you know, we talked a little bit about this too, you know, the kind of the nature of policing now where you're kind of under more of a microscope and you do this, it's not right. You do that. It's not right. So I guess the question is like, how do you balance, you know, being assertive, but showing empathy and, in these really, and sometimes these very tough situations, like it's, it's a real tight rope. As a police officer? Or yes. Yeah, as a police officer, because it's almost like this balancing act. If you're too heavy handed, you're going to be under the microscope. And then if you're not heavy handed enough, you might put you yourself might be put in danger. So it's like that balance of assertiveness and empathy. And I think that is something that most police officers already possess. I think it's something that's pretty evident in the hiring process. Mm -hmm. I know our recruiting team does a really great job at weeding out people uh, or or highlighting people who have this skill or show the the possibility that they might have this this extra empathy. For me personally, I always say that the Amanda that you get 
in uniform is the same Amanda that you get out of uniform. So who I am at work is who I am off duty. Well, we're never really off duty, but you know what I mean. Yeah. So I, I don't have to pretend to be anybody else. I don't have to pretend to be more aggressive. I don't have to pretend to be super assertive. I think I, it really just comes with experience and, and state of a natural ability. And I think it's one of the things that, that I, I really pride myself on doing a lot of. You kind of learn as you go along. And of course, not every call, you'll have the ability to sort of put your listening ears on and, you know, sit down and have a real tough conversation with somebody. I try and do that as often as possible. Of course, there are a lot of events where you, you are go, 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 and things are very dynamic. But I think just remembering that people are people right. and I'm one of those people. I always remember when I first started that I was always told, you're going to meet people on the worst days of their lives. Yeah, that's true. And yeah. while I may have dealt with this exact scenario a hundred times, even maybe 10 times that day, it it's the first time for them. It may be they've never even spoken to a police officer before. So I always remind myself, don't get complacent. Don't just treat it like, oh, God, this is the 10th call, the same thing. Mm-hmm. Let's just get this over with. I think that is where a lot of officers may go wrong a little bit. And not to say that my policing style is any better than anybody else's police, but I think most of us are very compassionate and empathetic. And I do remind myself every day that, you know what, this person is really having a tough day and it's yeah. really the very worst day of their lives. For sure. For me, it's just a day of work. So I yeah. have to remember to treat each person independently and as a human in that moment, not just another call. I think right. that's really For sure. And we, we talked a little bit too, this kind of the nature too, this sort of our, our society now, there's more distrust for authority and police in general. And then certain, like, I guess some groups that are more marginalized, there's more of a, a distrust that build up. Can you think of times where you were able to like to build bridges through dialogue or it started off as distrust, but you were able to kind of break through the, that wall of mistrust? I mean, this happens every day. This is, and even more so now with the negative light that people have shown on police officers. So for me, this happens every day. To think of something specific, I remember I was working by myself. And if you don't know, we work in partnerships here at Transit Police. So there's always two people to the car. So I was working by myself and I went to a call. I think it was at Columbia Station in the West. And I was talking to these people. They were alcohol involved. So they were a little bit loud, a little bit obnoxious, but nothing really criminal. So I'm just trying to get them to sort of settle and then go on their way because the last thing I want to do is take you to jail. So if you can just sort yourself out right. and carry on, then carry on. Like, don't give me a reason because mm-hmm. if you you can't behave yourself in public, if you're too intoxicated, then you will have to be arrested. And as I'm talking to these people, I noticed sort of out of the corner of my eye, there is a, a young man who's sort of standing about 12 feet away. And of course, I'm always looking officer safety to make sure that 
no one stands behind me because again, I'm alone, which is not a big deal, but I just, I, I don't want anyone behind me for safety. Yeah, of course. So he, he starts creeping sort of closer and closer. And so I'm thinking, hmm, this is, this is not, this is not, I don't like it. I don't like anything yeah. about it. So I send these people on their way and I turn around and he's probably about six feet away from me now. And he's just staring at me. And so I think, okay, so maybe he needs something. So I ask him, I said, are you okay? Do you need, do you need any help? And he would, he just looked at me and once it's hard to describe that look. So he looked at me and then he looked down and at my taser and then he looked back at me. And that is usually a red flag. Yeah. Anytime someone's checking out my equipment, they, yeah. it's usually all fine. Yeah. Well, I thought, hmm, this is not going to go well, I don't think. So I, I again, try and get out of him what he needs. I said, are you okay? Do you need, do you need me to help you? And I could tell that he was probably suffering some kind of mental health or he was struggling in some way. And he said to me, I need help. And I said, okay, that's perfect. I'm here. What do you need? What can I help you with? And he said, I need to go to the hospital, which usually means that they're having some kind of crisis. And when we apprehend someone under the Mental Health Act, they have to either be a danger to themselves. So they either want to harm themselves or they want to harm someone So I had a conversation with him and I said, I'm going to be frank with you. You're making me real nervous looking at my equipment. And he said, I'm really sorry. Um, I'm sorry. And so I said, like, you don't have to be sorry. Like, I want to help you. You're not in any trouble. Right. So just building that rapport. Right. And, you know, letting him know that, yes, you, you might be in a crisis or you might be having some very intrusive thoughts, but I'm here to help. I, I don't want to take you to jail. I don't want to, you know, strap you down and inject medication into you. Like, I just, I want to make sure that you get the help that you need. So, and he said, yeah, I, I want to go to the hospital. So I said, okay, that's fine. That's good. I have a car. I can take you there. So we walked down to the police car and anybody that gets into my police car has to be searched. Uh, for right. Obviously, it was for safe. So I give him a good search. We're, we're kind of like, we're good, but I'm still sort of apprehensive. So I tell him, you know, for safety, I always handcuff people that go in the back of my police car. And he said, okay, so I handcuffed him, got his name and everything. And when I ran him on the police database, it turns out he is suicide by cop. Oh, my God. He suffers from severe mental health. Oh. Um, and he tries to usually bait a police officer into using deadly force. Wow. Uh, and uh, there, I think there was also a note on his file that said, you know, a multiple officer response is, is required or recommended for dealing with this individual. Oh, my God. And I was like, Wow. Well, and I was actually pretty impressed with how I was able to sort of just communicate with him. Yeah. As a police officer, but not only as a police officer, but just as a human. And I think that's super important. Is is your Wow. Well, yeah. Because the wrong approach that could have been a time bomb. Right. And it could have been everything that he wanted it to be, but yeah, yeah. really didn't want it to be. Like I could sense that he just wanted someone to help him, but he didn't right. know how to ask for it. Oh my and so God. that's fine. That's fine. We made it to the hospital. I took him out of the police car and unhandcuffed him. He wasn't in custody for anything. So he, like I wasn't required to go with him, but he looked at me and he said, will you come with me? And I said, of course I'll come with. So we'll go to the ER together. And he told me about how his, he was using drugs. He didn't know how to stop and he'd been doing it for a long time. 
and his mental health suffered. And I said, you know what, you make sure that you go in there and you're honest with the doctors and you get the help you need, right? You need, you need proper mental health care. And you know what? And I, I, I remember saying this because it's just still sticks. It's been years. I think it sticks in the back of my mind. And I just get, I just looked in the eyes and I said, you know what? I believe in you. Wow. I believe in you because maybe, you know, no one else does. Maybe yeah. he doesn't have family. Maybe he doesn't have friends, but I believe in you. I believe you can change. I believe you can get the help that you need. And don't ever forget that I believe in you. Wow. And, said, <laughs> and I never thought about it. I, I left and I didn't yeah. think about it again until months, months, probably six months later, another officer called me and said, do you know this person? And he gave his name. I said, you have to talk to you. I dealt with him like six months ago. And he said, I ran into him and he said to me, I want you to tell Amanda that you changed, that she changed my life. Oh, well, I found out from him that he quit drugs. Oh my God. That's good. He got the help that he did. Mm-hmm. He was clean. And he had housing. Wow. And he got it. Oh, well, that's a good success story. That's amazing. Yeah. Especially that you're saying he wanted suicide by cop. My God. That's like the, probably the worst case scenario. It's amazing. We know we live in this now. We live in this, you know, Vancouver. It's a very diverse city. Different, so many considerations, cultures, races, creeds, and things like that. And, and how does he feel like the, the police force accommodates that? And, the, the diversity of the city and the different, the multiple different considerations of all the different communities. So even, I think diversity is so important, especially for a police service. Mm-hmm. So for us, we really look at diversity in our recruiting section. And I think it's super important to represent the community that you police. So if you look back, you know, years and years and years, usually what you, what you envision when you, when you think of a police officer is a white male tall white male, no other languages, just out there policing, an entire police force full of them. And we are so lucky here at Transit Police to have such a diverse amount of officers with ethnic groups, languages, women. I always promote women in policing because for a long time, we were always told, you know what, you got to man up, you got to be one of the guys, you right. got to fit in, you got to be aggressive. And I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be any of those things. You don't need to be any of those things because as a police force, there are so many roles that, that we can fill. And especially as women, we have so many innate abilities that that lend us to really great policing, whether it be de-escalation, communication. I was always told, oh, you can't have, you can't show any emotion. You can't. But to me, I mean, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I be able right. to connect with the people that I'm, you know, helping like complainants or victims like why can't I show emotion why can't if they're sad why can't I be sad so I think with having diversity in a police force you're able to help people in such a big way because maybe maybe that officer speaks their language or maybe they understand the customs or traditions of that culture that are really super important in an investigation or even just in life if someone is afraid to call the police for cultural reason, reasons or maybe they want to speak to someone who speaks Korean and we have all that and it's so right. it's so interesting to see how well we can police with all of these even in the LGBTQ S2 plus like we yeah. you know, right? we love it we, we think it I think it makes such a great 
diverse police department. And we're really lucky here to have all of those things. That's amazing. That ties into the next question. You're obviously, you're a woman and, and my platform, and as I said, not intentionally, but I have a large, you know, female audience and, and so there might be women listening that may want a career in law enforcement. What advice would you give them? I would say, you know, even if, for me, it was something I always wanted to do ever since I was a child, uh, but maybe for you, it's, it's sort of, sort of been in the back of your mind. Maybe you're doing a different career. Maybe you've always thought, you know what, I want to be a police officer, but maybe I'm not too old. Why not? Why can't you be? You know what? Do it. Well, go for your dreams. You know, if you have an ambitious personality or fit, you're, you know, wanting to make a difference in the world or, you know, help people or, you know, chase bad guys i mean when i was young i just wanted to chase bad guys change the world right like that that was just my i wanted to drive a car really fast like the sirens and for young people who are thinking about getting into something young women you know what make the right decision volunteer with a community police station pick your friends appropriately you know don't do drugs i mean you hear it a thousand times yeah drugs like we're all young and down we all make stupid mistakes right right we're not hiring police officers that are perfect because no. that how would they even connect with people? Right. On call if they have no idea um, what struggle is or what if they've never lived on their own or you know they've never right. you know had some sort of negative experience in their lives. So we're asking. But you want them relatable. You want people to, people to be able to relate. First. Yeah, and I, I always tell the women you're never. You know, you don't think you're too short or you, you know, you're not fast enough or you're not strong enough. For me, policing is not about physical strength or yes, you will get into fights. That's unavoidable. Yes, you have to have some sort of wherewithal in terms of we train you. So I think it's super important to have other skills. Sure. I don't think you should define yourself as whether or not you're a good candidate based on, you know, can I fight? I mean, that's just a very small portion of what police is. And I think we need to focus on the things and the attributes that, that we're trying to emphasize. Like, are you a good communicator? Um, right. Are you ambitious? Are you a hard worker? Do you want to make a difference in the world? And I think if you are any of those things or you're curious, mm-hmm. go for it. Check out, you know, whatever police department, not only are you suitable for them, but are they suitable for you? So you have to sure. sort of research your departments, find out which department stands out to you. And just see, just, you know, go on a ride-along, request, request a ride-along and see if policing is for you. Um, and I think go for it. I think the more women, the merrier. I can shout from the rooftops about women. Oh. So I think like, <laughs> what is the, the basic qualifications is to be considered? Well, for us, for each department, it's a little bit different. For us, 19, of course, um, high school uh, diploma, you have to have 30 credits, not just 30 post-secondary credits, but say you have you know, 20 post-secondary credits, and then you also have relevant work experience. They're, they're negotiable. So you have to be a permanent resident. You have to have a good driving abstract. You have to be able to pass a physical exam. So we call it a a POPAT, which is the police officer physical abilities test. You have to be able to run, run that. You have to do an intake interview. You can do a polygraph. And there's a whole bunch of things that they just go to the website and just look up what the minimum qualifications are. And you can see if you fit that bill, but, but no, it's a, it's a competitive process. So you want to make sure that you not only fit those qualifications, but that you may exceed them, or you may have something that 
is outstanding or something that's not on that list that you think, oh, I don't know if that's important. It's important. Try right. to get involved. And a lot of people think, oh, my post-secondary is not criminology. That's fine. We we have we just hired a, a guy who was a, a plumber mm-hmm. in a different way. We have past paramedics. We have nurses. We have mm-hmm. people who were servers. You know, like there's so such a diverse group of people who have worked. Like there's a farmer. Like there's so many different oh, wow. different people who have different life experiences. And just and don't don't discount what your life experience is based on just a list. You know, I think sure. if you want it bad enough, you go get it. Awesome. And then maybe this let's end it on this. Like uh, again, let's get back to the end it on the safety thing. Where what are some of like for what would advice we just give people in general about common sense safety when they're out and about in the city? Like, yeah. So again, know your surroundings. Make sure that you're aware of who's around you. Um, if you're on the train, know the safety features. Yellow strip. We also have intercoms. On the train so you can press an intercom and speak directly to our communication center the texting service have that text number in your phone another one that's really important and often overlooked is if you're on the train there's a train number like a right. number okay. at the top sort of mm-hmm. the, the car and then it's also at the doors mm-hmm. that number will identify what car you're on so like if you're texting and you say you know there's a crazy guy or Someone passed out on train 215. Right. You can pass the exact system. So if you get off the train and he's still on the train, we can see if all generated. Buses (laughs) have a number too, right? Yeah. Yeah, They're above the the driver. Right. At the top there. And then they're also on the outside of the bus at the front and the back. Okay. Wonderful. Amanda, it was... it was my pleasure having you as for the second time. Hopefully won't have to wait a year to have you on again. And the pleasure was all mine, and I truly enjoyed this conversation. I think you're doing an amazing job, and I think you're a real credit to your police force. Truly enjoyed this conversation, and thank you so much. Thank you. That means a lot. Take care of me. I'll come back anytime you want. Okay, cool. I'll hold you to that. (laughs) (laughs) Deal. Okay, thank you so much. I'm gonna uh, so I'm just gonna cut, I'm gonna edit this part out, but I'm just gonna okay. say yeah. So give me about a few days to edit this. I got a, few, a little bit in the pipeline, but then I'll of course I'll tag you and all that kind of stuff. And, and... do great work in your Okay, well thank you so much. Okay, well take care. Enjoy your day again. Thank you so much. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.